Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 8 through to verse 17. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 8 through to verse 17. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Those online, the words will come up on screen. Colossians 3. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, born nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading from his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, we are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. We're at Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And my text today is taken from that 10th verse. It reads as follows. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. And I want to entitle the message today, Understanding the Substance of the New Man. Now, in the past weeks, we have looked at how to deal with the problem of anger, a real problem for many of God's dear people. We've also looked at how to deal with the problem of evil speaking. And last Lord's Day, we looked at the subject of how true Christians ought and must treat one another. We thought of that negative, lie not one to another. Why? And here's the answer. Seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. What is the old man with his deeds? And then look at verse 10. And have put on the new man. What is the new man? Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, what does this language mean? 
Put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What does this really mean? I wonder, has it ever really puzzled you? I have read it and reread it many times. I've heard it talked about, and I've always asked myself, well, how are we to understand it? What is it actually teaching us? What lesson is the Holy Spirit conveying to us? How does all this really apply to the Christian life? Remember, he's dealing in the context with living out the Christian life, Colossians 3, verse 8 through to 17, in the church and the fellowship of God's people. And he's teaching us here to deal with sins like anger and evil speaking and telling lies. In fact, in Colossians 3 and 5 and Colossians 3 and 8 and 3 and 9, if you add them up, he mentions 11 sins in total. And, and how does this apply then to, to the Christian life? Now, as I've looked at verse 10 and thought about these words, I have to confess that this is a very difficult Bible verse to try to get your head right. A difficult verse to understand. To, to, to grasp the, the enormity of the teaching here. So, so I've asked myself, Lord, how do we interpret this text then? How are, are we to understand what this means in, in living out the Christian life in the context of having fellowship with God's people? And as I prayed and thought about these words, the idea of the substance of the new man came to mind. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, we, we could think about this under many headings. But I want us to think of three things this morning. And I hope and pray that it opens up the text. You've got here a definition about the new man. It says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And I put it to you that before we can delve into what the new man actually is, we must understand the way that God made the first man. Because the language here, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, takes us all the way back to Eden. Takes us back to the first man. The first man was the crown of God's creation on the sixth day. Remember we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Listen to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And we read in Genesis 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, so how did God create the first man, Adam? The Bible tells us. 
in his own image. God created Adam in his own image. Now, now what does that mean? Does the Bible shed any light on what that means? Well, the answer is yes. Two verses supply the answer. Colossians 3 verse 10. After the image of him that created him. And, of course, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it says this, Ephesians 4 and 24, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, when you link them two verses up, you're taught three things about how God made man in his own image and what that actually means. Now, the new man, let me just point this out to you, is someone who is born again. So if you're born again this morning, you're a new man. You've been regenerated by the Holy Ghost. A new man is someone who's been created by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature or a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Now, we'll come back to that. But before we understand this definition, think about this declaration of the new man. This declaration of the new man, he is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now let's think of how God created Adam in his own image. And there's three constituent parts. There are three things that made man in the image of God. So let's think of Adam living in Eden. He's living there in perfect fellowship with God. And he is living there in righteousness. Ephesians 4.24. And that righteousness is a perfect moral righteousness. A, a sinless righteousness. That was, means that Adam was without sin in every part of his being. Adam was perfectly conformed, perfectly consecrated to the law and to the will and the mind of God. But he not only made him in righteousness or created him in righteousness, we also read that God created him in true holiness, Ephesians 4 and 24. And true holiness is deeper than moral righteousness. It goes deeper than saying God created him without sin. You see, in Reformed theology, we talk about and write about a true holiness as a concreated holiness. What does that mean? It means in creation, God created Adam with a disposition or a bias or an inclination toward the God of heaven in reference to a life of holiness. In other words, God created Adam with a powerful bias away from sin toward God. You think of a very powerful magnet. And that magnet is so powerful that within a certain range, it pulls all metal objects toward it. That's the meaning. Adam was born and created with a very powerful magnet that we'll call true holiness toward God. Now, that's very important. A very important part of biblical teaching that you understand, because here's how God created the first man. You, you have to think here. God didn't just create a man without sin and placed him on a finely balanced situation, able to choose sin or choose between good and evil. No, he created him with a very powerful bias towards true holiness. 
And that means that when Adam sinned, Adam sinned a great sin in the fall. He didn't upset a fine balance. He sinned against God, yes, but he sinned against great light and truth and holiness. Do you know why I believe it was difficult for Adam to choose sin? I believe it was easy for Adam to remain true to the holiness with which he was created. Adam had to work hard to sin in Eden. Yes, it was true he was capable of choosing sin and evil, but it wasn't an easy choice. I believe it was a very difficult, hard choice. Why? Because Adam's will was holy. His will was inclined to God and good. It was inclined to righteousness, but also inclined to true holiness. And here's another strand of the image in which he was created. Look at Colossians 3, verse 10. And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. See the word knowledge there? That's a reference to the knowledge of God. And that goes deeper again. It's like layers of the onion. Righteousness, true holiness, and the knowledge of God. God created Adam with a perfect knowledge of God. This sinless Adam, with his bias toward God and goodness, he knew God. Not only theoretically, but experimentally and personally. Adam had a perfect, sinless knowledge of God in every thought, in every word, in every deed. Adam had a personal knowledge of God as creator, a maker, as sustainer, as provider, as the one true living in God. Adam knew God's person perfectly. Adam knew about God's plan and creation. He knew about God's purpose. Adam knew his place in creation. Not just a a, a knowledge free from sin and error, but a knowledge of God in in every detailed part. You you think of holy Adam. Here he is, he's in the Eden. Have you got the picture? And he's got grass under his feet. How often we cut the grass or, or walk over grass without thinking. Here he sees a beautiful rose in the Garden of Eden, multicolored. He he sees a tree laden with fruit, apples, oranges. He, he, He sees each and every animal come. He sees his beautiful wife Eve. He sees the stars above with all their brilliance and light and color. He's considering it all. And as he thinks of it all, now listen to me carefully, the grass, the rose, his wife, the animals, he could not think of it apart from relating that to his God. That is the knowledge of God. Adam knew God as creator and maker. Adam enjoyed unbroken fellowship with his creator. Adam was created in righteousness, true holiness, And with the knowledge of God. What for? What was the purpose? In order to have fellowship and communion with God. You see, Adam walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. God walked with Adam. So you picture Adam and God in perfect union and communion. Adam loved God. 
Adam thought of God. Adam talked to God. Adam knew God. Adam never once for a second entertained a, a thought apart from God. He was never out of fellowship with God. He, he, he was never estranged from God. Perfect union, perfect communion with peace and joy and fellowship. The greatest of all blessings. That's how Adam lived. That was God's plan and purpose for Adam. That was what was conveyed on unfallen Adam at his creation in Eden. Then something happened. In this description of the new man, think of not only how Adam lived, but think of what Adam lost. Think of how Adam lost it all. There's a lot of talk this week past about Philip Schofield and his downfall from ITV and he testified and talked that he'd lost it all. And I was thinking about Adam, what Adam lost in his fall. You see, when this unfallen Adam fell into a state of sin and misery and us in him, Adam lost it all. He lost his original righteousness. That moral righteousness with which God created him. He lost his true holiness. He no longer had an inward disposition and a bias to God and to God's will and God's law and God's mind. And he also lost his perfect knowledge of God. God had been dethroned in the heart and mind of Adam. God was no longer in the throne of Adam's life. There was a new God there, a God of self, a God of me. My desires, my deserts, the chief end of man was no longer the glory of God and the enjoyment of him forever. The chief end of man was now the chief end of me. Adam made himself his own God. Now Adam's life, it's marked by unrighteousness. It's now marked by a disposition towards evil and ungodliness. Adam's no longer thinking of the knowledge of God that he had in Eden. He has fallen into an estate of sin and misery. And Adam's death, or Adam's fall, brought death into the world. Romans 5 and 12. What does it say there? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It not only brought death, folks, but it brought depravity. You think of Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When did we all sin? We sinned in Adam. His first transgression was put to our account. Every additional sin was put to our account, bringing guilt and punishment. And we not only have a bad record that was brought about in this um, fall into depravity, but a bad heart, a heart that loves sin. A heart that's the fountain of iniquity. That, that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It also brought despair. Do we not live in a world of tears? A world where our loved ones get sick? A world of murder, theft, famine, war, disease? See, see, it brought all these things into the world. Part of the curse. I'll tell you something else it brought. It brought darkness into the world. Turn over there to Ephesians chapter 4 and read verse 18 and 19 with me. 
It says, having the understanding darkened. This is what happened to Adam when he lost the knowledge of God. Being alienated from the life of God, he, he, he was cut off and wasn't he put out of Eden? Through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. See, see, darkness come into the world. Adam no longer is enjoying unbroken communion and union with God. Adam's no longer enjoying constant union and fellowship with the Lord. Adam's no longer enjoying the fullness of the knowledge of God because that has been broken. That union and communion has been broken. That communion has been smashed. Adam's now spiritually dead. Adam has become spiritually dark. Adam has now become spiritually blind. Adam now has a spiritual bias away from God. And he's so spiritually darkened that God is not in all his thoughts. And I want to tell you, not one of us who are the offspring of Adam ever could or would enjoy that communion and union with God in the way that Adam did. This fall, this loss was a complete reversal of how Adam lived in his unfallen state. It was a reversal of all that unfallen Adam enjoyed in Eden. See, the grass under his feet now, he no longer thought about God. The rose in the garden, he wasn't thinking about a relationship with God or the Redeemer. The trees and the fruit in the trees, his wife, the animals, the sun, the moon, the stars. See, see, Adam wasn't thinking of God. He couldn't see God. He couldn't hear God. Do you know what Adam's like? Adam's like a blind man standing in the sunlight, but he can't see. He has lost his sight of God. And of course, you see, we read over there in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 19, I was speaking to um, someone not so long ago just in relation to this uh, particular truth. Uh, Psalm 19, this is what it says in verse 1. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language, or their voice is not heard. The, the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God in creation. And even though God has revealed himself in his majesty and eternality in the book of nature, natural man cannot see him. Natural man doesn't know him. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually dark. And therefore natural man has no thought of the things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, Colossians 2.14 tells us. For their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's why, you see, there's a complete refusal to care for the truth of God's Word. That's why there's a refusal to come to hear God's Word. You, you think of prosperous people. People who have loads of money, and there are people who have loads of money out in our world. And God has given the ability to make that money. 
either through investment or through hard work. And God has prospered them with this money. And God has prospered them with health and strength to go here, there, and yonder. God has prospered them with a good family and a beautiful home and car and holidays and loads of possessions. And what do they do? They take all the credit. They praise themselves. They think, I did this, I did that. But, but they have left God out. Why have they left God out? Because they're spiritually blind, spiritually dead, and spiritually in the dark. They have no knowledge of God. God is not in all their thoughts. And of course, when these same people then experience some difficulty in their life, maybe pain or suffering or sorrow, they talk about, oh, well, it's a bit of bad luck or bad karma. And again, God is left out because they have no fear of him. They have no thought of him. They, they, they glory in their own state of spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, spiritual deadness. So that's how Adam lived. And that's what Adam lost. And I have to say this morning that the Bible teaches that all that Adam was before the fall is now, now listen to me carefully, restated or regained in Christ. And when Paul says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, or having put on the new man, which is renewed in righteousness and true holiness, he's thinking of a reinstatement or a regaining of all that Adam had lost in Eden. The way that he lived before the fall is now regained and restored in Christ. So that in Christ we're giving a perfect righteousness. In Christ we have a disposition towards holiness. In Christ we have the knowledge of God. In fact, the Bible talks about which is renewed in knowledge. Now, now can you get that? Not only think this morning of a declaration about the new man, but let's think very quickly and about the definition of the new man. The new man is the born-again man. So you, if you're born again, you're a new man or a new woman. You're in Christ. You've been regenerated by the Holy Ghost. You've been genuinely converted to Christ through faith and repentance. You have a testimony that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And this, this work in the soul, this divine work, is the work of God. And this new nature that's been planted within you is the gift of God. God has created that. See this reference to the old man with his deeds? That's all that we were in Adam. The reference to the new man is the new creature that's now in Christ. You see, it's not turn over a new leaf. It's not just experience some religious rite or ceremony. It's not just engage in some spiritual experience or strange experience. The answer is, in Christ, you're a new man. And only in Christ, and not apart from Christ, all that was lost in Adam has been regained, restored, and reinstated in Christ. How do I know? Because he came as the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. 
He came as the second man from Adam, from heaven. Listen to me carefully. When the Lord Jesus was born, when he lived among men, when he walked in this earth, he was here as the second Adam. He was here as the last Adam. And the first man since the fall to walk and talk among men with a perfect righteousness, and that's a moral righteousness, and walk and talk among men with a true holiness, that is a, a disposition, a bias to God's word, will, way, and work, with a perfect knowledge of God in every thought, in every word, in every deed. And that person was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think of that. He was the last Adam, the second man from Adam, the only second man to walk and talk among men with a perfect righteousness, perfect true holiness, and perfect knowledge of God. And thank the Lord this Adam didn't fall into sin. Despite being tempted in all points like as we are, the Bible says he was yet without sin. We could think of him this morning in Bethlehem. We could think of him in his ministry in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. We, we, we could think of him in the wilderness and his temptation. We could think of him in Gethsemane. Think of him in Gabbatha. We can think of him in Golgotha on the tree. And in all of his time, for his 33 years, he never committed one sin in thought, in word and deed. And the devil, of course, tried his best. And the devil inhaled through everything they could against Christ. And yet they couldn't bring about the slightest breach between God the Father and God the Son. And even when he hung on the cross, remember he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And even though the Father turned away his face from his Son because of the wrath of God being poured out on his Son, there was still an unbroken fellowship between Father and Son. The Lord Jesus Christ never lost one ounce of perfect righteousness. He never lost one ounce of true holiness. He never lost one ounce of the knowledge of God. And in Christ, by his life and by his death, that perfect righteousness, that image of true holiness, that true knowledge is restored and impart it to the new man in Christ. The new man is renewed in the knowledge of God. Our text above the pulpit says, Be still and know that I am God. God can be known. And known perfectly. And known personally. And known powerfully. Listen to John 17. It says this. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You see, this new man in Christ is gifted the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. The new man in Christ has implanted within him a true disposition of holiness. We'll, we'll call it the new nature, the nature of God. And it's all to this chief goal, to this chief end, that this new man is brought into a, a place where he's restored fellowship with God. And in Christ, he can walk with God. In Christ, he can talk to him. In Christ, he can serve him. In Christ, he can love him. Isn't that the whole ground of atonement? That we who have the implanted righteousness or imputed righteousness, 
This knowledge of God causes us to, to want to have fellowship with him as father and son. Now, one final point. Bear with me just for a few minutes. We've thought about the declaration about this new man. I've given you the definition of this new man. He's in Christ. You've got to ask yourself, am I in Christ? Am I like the ship who's got the captain of salvation, anchored because of the anchor of salvation? I'm part of a crew, and I'm owned by God. Now, listen to this as we finish. The difficulty of being the new man. Why does Paul mention this in Colossians? Because he knows that the new man in Christ has difficulty living in fellowship with God day by day. Why? Because that new man is prone to sin. Sin causes us much heartache and grief and annoyance. Even these sins that he's mentioned in this chapter, which are only specimen sins. Paul knows that every Christian in Christ faces a daily struggle. And how do we overcome sin in the heart and life? Do we not battle with sin daily? Is it not an ongoing struggle? Is it not a warfare which there's no let up? And the answer is yes. We have a problem with sin. Is not true when it comes to prayer? Do you know that prayerlessness is a sin? Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. And if you don't pray in a private, daily, quiet time, secretly meeting with God, you're actually sinning against him. And if you don't come to the public prayer meeting in, in God's house, wherever God has you, then you're also sinning against him. But it's so hard and so difficult. I have this thought, I have this desire, but when I go to do it, it's such a struggle. Isn't the same with offering praise? Do we not feel that oftentimes we sing words that we don't really mean? And when it comes to listening to God's word, it doesn't really penetrate the mind. It doesn't really affect the understanding. It, 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 it can be dry. It can be boring. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. And, and when life's circumstances arise... And you have a hard sensing the presence of God. And you find it hard sensing the purpose of God. And you, you, you have little sense of him and, and little sight of him. What is going on? Well, just remember this as we finish. There are two opposing natures in every Christian. The new nature created by God. And it's opposed to all that's good and holy and true. And you have the old nature that you were born with. And it's opposed to all that's holy and just and good and true. Someone has said this. And these two opposing natures, they're not equal. We've died in Christ to the old man with its deeds. We've put on the new man, which is renewed in these three areas that I've mentioned. And the weaker the enemy is, the old man with his deeds, the stronger the new man is. And the more success we have in living out the Christian life. And here's how we apply the gospel. Maybe I should say this in finishing. We put a lot of emphasis on the crisis experience of coming to Christ, faith in him, 
asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And that's right and that's proper. That's vital, that's fundamental. But I want to add this. That's only the start of the Christian life. That's only the beginning. That's not the end. If you're a new creature, you'll discover quickly you're still in the flesh. You're still in a flesh and blood body. And that's why we're told to put off the old man with his deeds. We have to recognize the power and strength of sin. We've got to apply the gospel every day in putting on the new man. We've got to do it hour by hour, minute by minute, in order to deal with indwelling sin. And I'll finish this morning with a number of questions. Have you died to the propensity of sin and its power? Do you understand that the work of redemption is complete once and for all, but the work of renewal is continuing, it's ongoing? You think of a house with an owner, he takes possession of it, but he's got lots of work to do to to make that house the way that he wants to do it, and he starts room by room. We have a flesh that loves sin and hates the light and is not subject to the law of God. And our sanctification is not a decision of the moment. It's an ongoing daily struggle. And the secret is this. The more we see and know of Christ, the more a life of victory we will enjoy. Because I finish with this over there in Corinthians. We read this in Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to these words. Chapter 6, verse 4, rather the wrong reference. Second Corinthians. It says in verse, chapter 4, verse 6, 2 Corinthians, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Be thou my vision, we sometimes think. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We are being transformed and changed into the image of Christ. How do you stand this morning? Are you in Christ? Do you know him? Are you making progress in the Christian life? Ask yourself this as we finish. What is your attitude to sin? These sins that we're mentioning. What is your attitude to right living? What's your attitude to holiness? What's your attitude to the knowledge of God? If you're created in Christ by God, Out of nothing, you didn't evolve into that. You've been brought into Christ by a new birth and given the gift of righteousness and holiness and the knowledge of God. Then we've got to make progress in that. We've got to grow in that. We've got to strengthen that by having a hatred for sin and a love for doing what's right in the sight of God. Now, what I've told you this morning, 40 minutes or less, 35, has only scratched the surface of the full meaning of this text of Scripture. I recommend it to you. I don't know if the Lord will lead us to come back to it. He may do, he may not. But I trust that what I've said, you'll get a description in your head of what the new man is. He's like the old Adam in Christ. And you'll get a definition. And you'll recognize the difficulty because of this propensity, this inward remaining struggle with sin. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.